Well, here we are. We've come to the, not only we come to the end of this series, we've come to the end of uh, a particular chapter in my life, the life of Redeemer. You know, it was, it was difficult for me to figure out um, what I should end with. I mean, as you can imagine, you know, you give the Bilbo Baggins speech. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but as I looked at this, um, as I thought about this series, you know, obviously we've been in a series about this, this supreme, awesome glory of our God and who he is. And uh, and and as I wow yeah I didn't expect to do this but um, (laughs) exactly oh thanks (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's closing prayer. You know, I realize there's no there's no better way. Oh man, there's no better way to go out than by focusing on the the supreme glory of God. Because uh, one thing's for certain, I am but flesh, and uh, just as the the grass withers and the flowers fade, so will I. So will all of us. You know, the wonderful thing is, even after a million years. The glory of the Lord will not have diminished one single iota. And the reason why I think this is such a good summation sermon is because glory is what results from all that God is and all that He does. In other words, what makes God so glorious is His supreme and infinite love, joy, Peace, grace, wrath, patience, faithfulness, wisdom, goodness, sovereignty, and power all coming together in a cosmic collision of greatness. And boom, the splendor of it is the glory of his presence. This is why a great way to think about glory is this way. Glory is the manifested greatness of God. So if you were to ever ask the question, what is glory? I think the best way you could sum it up is this. Glory is the manifested greatness of God. And we've been looking at the greatness of God. And if we, as we look at it as, it all, of it, as it all coming together, you think of all of His attributes. Think of what we've looked at from the beginning of this. All the different attributes of God, when they all come together and they shine forth in their brilliance and their radiance, what do we call that? That's the glory of God. His person beaming. Our word glory comes from the Latin gloria. Wow. (laughs) Fascinating. And what it means in Latin is fame or renown. In Hebrew, the concept of glory is expressed with several Hebrew words, including had and kavad. So you remember that, had and kavad are two main concepts and words for describing glory in Hebrew. 
Kavad has this idea of importance, weight, deference, or heaviness, weightiness. But primarily, it, it means simply glory, respect, honor, and majesty. These words for glory were translated in Greek as doxa. Have you heard that word before? We sing at the end of a service, the doxology. Doxa. And doxa means judge, it means judgment or opinion. And by extension, good reputation, honor. And so how you honor someone, how you glorify them by doxa. And even though these words seek to describe glory in, in tight definitional terms, the idea we see throughout scripture is that God's glory describes the manifestation of all that he is. Both the manifestation of his presence and the manifestation of his power and wisdom and goodness and love in the things he created. So the things he created manifest glory and his personal presence manifests glory. When you think of Isaiah 6, we looked at this not too long ago. Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. What is it that the seraphim are crying out continuously? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what the angels were saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the whole earth is filled with his glory. What they're declaring is that when you look out at the earth, when you look at everything around you, you are actually seeing the glory of God. In Psalm 19, 1, it says, The heavens declare, they shout forth the glory of God. And, the, and it goes on, the earth shows his handiwork. It shows what he's done. It, it reveals his work. This is similar to Psalm 97, verse 6, which says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and the peoples see his glory. They declare it. And, and when you see it, what are you seeing? You're seeing the glory of God. Now we're going to explain what that means. Because all the things that he's created reveal his glory, declare his glory. And yet, there's also the glory of his actual presence. In Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 4, Revelation 21, even in Isaiah 6, and anywhere where the presence of the Lord is, where his actual presence is, is intense glory. Here's what it says in Revelation 21, 22 through 23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. You know why? Here's the next line. This is what it says. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So God himself is obviously, in his person, full of glory. But when it comes to creation and all the things that are made revealing his glory, the question I have always had is this. Have you ever asked this question? How? 
How does creation, how do the things made reveal his glory? In what way? It seems to me that that, that these things glorify him in the same way that any marvelous work that we do glorifies us, causes us to be glorified. Uh, I was recently watching a video of Connor McDavid, and you guys all know who he is, right? <laughs> it's like a, he's a he's a professional hockey player. I'm yeah, I'm using an analogy that's just like whoa, yeah. And and they call him, sadly enough, and I think this is awful, but in Canada, many people call him McJesus, and they call him that because he's so amazing. He he performs miracles on ice, right? Is kind of, yeah. <laughs> but I hate the fact that they've they've said that. But a lot of people are referring to him as that, and obviously it's cheek and uh, tongue and cheek. How do you have your cheek and your tongue, right? So this this year he's winning for the second year in a row. He's winning the Hart Trophy and the Ted Lindsay Trophy, and you all know what those are as well, right? They're basically, so the Hart Trophy is the MVP of the, of the league, and the Ted Lindsay Trophy is actually for the most outstanding player. So one is you're the most, you bring the most value. The one is that you're just the most outstanding. You just, you've got so much flash to your game kind of thing. So he's winning them both for the second year in a row, which is pretty, if you know sports, that's pretty remarkable. He's absolutely amazing. And so the point is, the work that he does the stuff that he does, the performance he has on the ice, brings him, it's such a, at such a level that it brings him glory, and the people want to glorify him. They seek to exalt him, and that's what they do. They exalt him, they glorify him, and they give him awards. Why? Because his work reveals something about him. His work glorifies him. And in the same way, when God does his work, it glorifies him. Now, when we look at something, we see it, we observe it, and right away, if we see a, a work of art and some, someone doing something amazing, we tend to glorify the person doing this. We do this all over the place, all the time. You, If you turn on your TV, we're constantly glorifying people who do great works. And we, those works don't necessarily be good, like good works in their righteous quality, but good in their, their just their performance quality. Why do we have award shows constantly? Because we want to exalt, we want to exonerate, we want to lift up, we want to glorify the people who, whose, whose work is worthy of glorification. And so our works, regardless of what they, they have a tendency to either give us a, just a little bit of glory or a lot of glory, depending on how, how the people, view, how glorious the people view them. So when he asked the question, so how do the works of God, the things he created, how do they glorify him and declare his glory? In the same way. They reveal something about him. And then, and then when you look at the marvelous nature of the work, and you're overwhelmed and you give him glory because of it, that's how the works glorify him. So just think of it. Have you ever seen or done anything in this world and it captures you? And you marvel at it. And you wonder at it. I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope you, you sometimes marvel even at the way, like, I, the fact that I'm standing here. And the fact that I can articulate the way I do. And the fact that I can use my body the way that I can use it. 
is, is an engineering marvel. Like, if you just sit and spend some time thinking about how marvelous it is, and then how, how marvelous it is that we do the things that we do, like even how we see and perceive colors, and we understand beauty, even how we taste. You put food in there, and isn't it a marvelous thing? How is that? You know, I can discern between fish and steak, and I can enjoy ice cream and chocolate, and I can, I can, ha- I can have wine, and, and the two things can come together, the chocolate and the wine, and together it's even better. Or I can, what I can do is, you know, I can put my arms around someone and hug them, and in the moment of that hug, it just, it brings life to my soul. Isn't the, aren't these things marvelous? Who gave us these things? It's every single thing you do that you either enjoy, that you delight in, you look and marvel at. The whole point is it for you, there's a God who gave us this. Unbelievable. It's absolutely stunning and marvelous. This is why the psalmist is marveling at creation. Joel read for us this morning Psalm 104. And I'm going to read a snippet from it again because I want you to think about it in light of this. The psalmist is going off. I I could just read the psalm every morning. He is going off, and he's going throughout all creation, going off about God and his glorious works. It's his works and the things that he's done that just manifest his glory, his majesty, his greatness. It says, beginning at verse 5 and following, you set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose up, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set boundaries for, uh, set a boundary that they may not pass, the oceans may not pass, so that they may not again cover the whole earth. You make springs gush up, gush forth in the valleys, and they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth from the food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen his heart. And he keeps on going on and on about God's marvelous works of creation. And he concludes at the end of this, as was read for us in verse 31, that this goes, and this is on and on, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks upon the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. And why? Because the glory of his works, the glory of them, they declare his glory, and it's marvelous. 
So this point of all this is that God's glory is manifested through the greatness of his works. So if you ever ask the question, so how is God's glory manifested in the things he made? Hopefully now you can understand. Well, just in the same way they glorify us. Our works glorify us. They glorify God. And this leads me to my next point, which is God's own personal glory that emanates from his being, which is different than the glory that, that, that we perceive and see in all of creation. And this part of God's glory is intense. This is a little different. This is a glory that supersedes all glories, which is so intense it's actually consuming. One of the things that's important to understand in regard to God's glory is the varying degrees of glory. We have to understand when I use the word glory and that God's glory, we do we also have a glory, but it's not the same. There's God's glory is so glorious that it's incredibly intense. And, and this is and there's all kinds of degrees of glory. This is why Paul what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 15, 40 through 49. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory for the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars, even stars themselves, differ from star in glory. So it is in the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable will be raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown in a natural body is raised a spiritual body. So clearly, there are varying degrees of glory. This is the point, right? Glory isn't just there's one kind of glory. There's all kinds of glory. And those who are raised to a higher level have a higher level of glory. Those who are at a lower level have a lower level level of glory. There's also a glory of man and a glory of woman. And it says in 1 Corinthians actually that you ladies have more glory. And if you look at a woman, all the men will say, Amen. Women have greater glory. First, First Corinthians 11, um, where it says, uh, 11.7, that the woman was created as man's glory. So this is why often they, they get exalted or glorified in their beauty because God has given the woman the glory of beauty. Men are generally, generally, there are some pretty guys, but... <laughs> Generally speaking, that's an oddity and it's weird. And I, I, personally, I never find men good looking because he's a good looking man. I'm like, really? Uh. <laughs> so, but, but if you just look at it, all of, so he's given glory, different levels of glory. And often the glory of men is their strength. Men, men would much rather glory in the fact that you consider them strong than pretty. It's like, it's an insult. You think I'm pretty? What? <laughs> but if you think I'm strong, I'm like, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> that's our glory is our strength, and that's what God has given us. And, and so, again, these are generalities, right? Generally true, and they're not, 
It's not across the board, but this is generally how things have been created. And so when we look, we look at things and people, people have varying degrees of glory, glory given to them. Now glory, and this is, this is why we exalt and glorify, as I was just saying earlier, people and their works and their skills and the glory they have. And sometimes we can esteem people so highly that they get to the level of God and it's not good. Really not good. <laughs> yeah, God's glory, as I said, is intense. No, so the intensest glory you've ever perceived or seen is not even, it, it, all it is is a little shadow of the glory of God. This is why Mo, God said to Moses, as Mike referred to this morning, Moses says, God, may I see your glory. Moses, no man shall see my glory and live. Moses, you don't understand intensity. You don't understand. Um, you, you think you've seen glory, Moses, but I'm sorry. It's like, uh, I, I must protect you. I'll save you. And, and so he says, but God is like, I'll tell you what, I, I'll pass by you and cover you. And then you get to see a lesser part of my glory. Like there's degrees of glory. If you saw my face, you'd be consumed, but I'll let you see my backside. It's kind of how it's translated. I mean, you know, it's just the, the lesser glory part. And that lesser glory part was actually enough to make Ro Moses' face just radiant, radiantly shining. So he was filled with so much glory that the people were afraid of him. And they tell him to veil his face because he got close to Mo God's glory. Close, but not so close that he would have been consumed. And here's the thing, God's glory, when in the personal glory of his personal radiance shows up, it always, on earth, it always has to be shrouded. It has to be covered with clouds. In Exodus chapter 24, 15 through 16, God had to hide his glory. Here's how it reads, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it. For six days, and on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Intense. So intense, he needs this thick cloud to cover it. Otherwise, it would just consume everything. And Moses retells what happens on the mountain in Deuteronomy 5, 22 through 27. And here's what he says. The Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain under the midst of the fire. So Moses is telling the congregation, the Lord spoke to you from the mountain out of the midst of the fire and out of the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And as soon as you heard the voice of, the, of out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory. And greatness, and we've heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. Just hearing his voice. 
For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and still live? Who? You, Moses, you go and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we'll hear it from you. We'll hear it and do it, what you say. You know, as intense as that was, he said, this was terrifying. We can't believe we didn't die. Like, the, like who, who, who could hear the voice of the Lord and, and, and live? And yet, they have no idea how shrouded that was. How covered it was. God's glory was completely covered, it says, in thick darkness and thick clouds. And the covering clouds provide, you know, is, is interesting. We get that in the Seattle area. We understand how clouds cover the glory of the sun. We have a real lesson of this for, what, six months out of the year? Longer than that. Uh, yeah, eight, nine. Who will give me ten? <laughs> and, and you know that the thicker the clouds the more it dims the glory of the sun. The heavier the clouds, the darker it is down here. But the radiance and the glory and the intensity of the sun is shrouded by the clouds. The sun is intense. The sun's very intense. The heat it produces. If you were to be fully exposed to the sun, one, you cannot look at it because its glory is too intense. Two, if you're exposed under it, for any amount of time, actually a short amount of time, it'll mess you up. In fact, it'll kill you. We need the covering of clothes, and we need the covering of hats. We need the covering of, like, now we have sunscreen. We need the covering of umbrellas, trees with shade. We need shade. And we delight in the sun. The sun's so great to have, but be fully exposed to the sun? No thanks. Fully exposed without any kind of covering is not a good idea. Why? Because it's intense. It is very intense. Its glory is the most glorious object in the heavens that we observe here on earth. No accident. No accident that the glory of the sun is that intense and that we need clouds as a covering from it. Because all of creation is declaring and it's telling a story. And you think the intensity of the sun is tense is intense. And you think that it's all-consuming. You you wait till you encounter the glory of God. This is why, you know, if you cannot go before the actual sun that God made just as a reflection and a shadow of His glory, that's why He tells Moses, no man will come into my glory and my presence and live. I'm just, and Moses, I'm just telling you this because it's just reality. It's not like I, I, I crank it up or anything. It's just the way it is. Because the intensity and the glory of all that he is and the greatness of it is just so overwhelming that it consumes things in its path. And we are actually not prepared and ready for it. Our glory, we are but flesh. 
And as flesh, we couldn't handle it. This is why in Paul talks about when we're da- we die and we're raised, we're die perishable, we raise unperishable. We die, we die weak and we were raised with glory. We die a, a fleshly body, we're raised a spiritual body. And when we're raised in the resurrection, only then will we be actually able to enter God's presence and be able to stand it. Even prophet Ezekiel, this is the other thing you have to consider. Every single person who saw the glory of God in actual fact, it was only a vision. Because Ezekiel had a vision, John had a vision, Isaiah had a vision, and it had to be a vision. Because it couldn't be real. If it was real, it would be consumed. And now listen to this. I'm going to read a couple passages for you. And just a vision of it and what it did to them. Prophet Ezekiel, he sees a vision of the throne room. It starts like this in chapter 1, verses 26 and following. On this, that, on this particular throne, on that which resembled a throne, he sees, he's seeing something. He says, that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. So it has like, there's like a, there's somewhat of an appearance of a man. And then I noticed that from the appearance of his loins and upward, something like, Glowing metal. Something like, you can see how he's trying to describe it. Something like glowing metal almost that looked like fire all around it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like just fire. So he sees the upward part looks like this metal, like on fire. The lower part's just fire. It just looks like completely burning fire. And there was a radiance. All, when something's radiance all around him, it means it just goes out. Like the light goes, this radiance all around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory. Hear this? A likeness of the glory of the Lord that when I saw it, I fell on my face. It's pretty much a common reaction. Steve mentioned that this morning. I'm sure we'll, as we looked at Revelation 4, the angels fall on their face. I know we will. It's like there's no other response that you can have. If you want to hide yourself, you bury yourself. If you want to cover yourself from something, even the glory of the sun, we, when we cover ourselves from it, we want to... We want to Shield it from our eyes. This is very similar. This vision of the radiance of the glory of the presence of Jesus himself. John sees in Revelation chapter 1, 13 through 18. In the midst of the lampstand, there was one like the Son of Man. Again, this is a vision. I was caught up in a vision, right? This isn't the real thing. This is just a vision. And there was one like the Son of Man. He's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, like snow. His eyes, listen to this, he sees his eyes. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face, listen to this, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. 
We all know what the sun, when the sun's shining in its full strength, it's intense. You can't look at it. When I, <laughs> okay, and when I saw him, when I saw him, guess what happened? I fell at his feet as though dead. It's a little intense. Just a little. And I believe, as I said, that God's glory is so intense that the only way a human, it has to be shrouded in clouds or it has to be seen in a vision because it cannot be seen in person. Our, our particular frame would melt like wax before the sun. We're not ready for it. No human is, and this is why it's a joke that any human being would ever say, why doesn't God show himself? Do you want to die instantly? Do you, do you want to be like just consumed? I mean, God, God is showing you himself through the things that he's made constantly. He says, they're without excuse, man. It's everywhere. My handiwork and all that I've done. There's so much of my glory that is perceived and declared and revealed through the things that are made. Yeah. There's no need. And in fact, if you saw it, it wouldn't be a good thing. So we'll just leave it at that for now. That's how God, God would deal with these things. Now, I think we under, when we understand how intense God's glory is and what it is, what is His glory, I think we need to now move to this, this next issue and understand why God's glory is what we should live for. Why? Why is this what we should live for? 1 Corinthians 10.31, you're told that whether whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. This is why the Westminster Confession says that the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is also why the, the chief indictment against man in Romans 1.21 is that for though although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. And the reason they didn't glorify Him is because they didn't, it's not because they didn't say, oh, glory be to God. You don't glorify God by going around saying, oh, glory to God. Glorify God. Glory be to Him. That's not how you do it. Here's the reason people don't glorify God. is because they don't reflect and represent to the world and everyone around them what they were created to be. Man was created. You and I, we were created with a purpose. And you were created, and the primary, primary thing that you were created as is an image bearer of God. You, above all creation, were to bear the image of God. So people could see in, our, in the works of his hands, I've created these people and they're to see my image. That's, what, that's how they're to live. However, if a person manifests the works of Satan, they are blaspheming God's name. That's been placed on them. They are, they are image bearers. They're designed. God created them to, to show forth his image 
And now if they act in ways that are like Satan would act, they're blaspheming God's name and they're failing to glorify Him. So sometimes we think of glorifying Him as like we give Him glory. We say, praise be to God. Well, someone could be saying, praise be to God all day and living like Satan, and that person is not glorifying God. Being and living. So the one who trusts God, the one who delights in God, the one who enjoys Him forever and thanks God, the one who obeys God and serves God and goes through their lives as a representation of God, just in doing that, the person is glorifying God because they glorify His work. They glorify the one who made them. You know, just imagine if you could create a being. Think about this for a moment. You could create a being, and the whole purpose for which you created it was so that it would reflect and represent you. Just imagine right now, imagine this. You've created this being, and that's why you created it. You create it because you have these creative powers that you can take dust of dirt and you can... And you can mold this, this, this being, this, you created so that this creature, so that it would reflect and represent you and you, you could breathe on it like, and it came alive as living. And you made it for that. And the thing after it lives, it turns around and says, get lost. I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Burn? Go stuff it. I'm going to go live my life, do my thing, and enjoy it. <laughs> wow. Now, everything that that creature does that does not reflect you, shames you. Pains you. It's like rottenness in your bones when you see them do things that are completely contrary to what you created them for. So away they go, and they're just doing their own thing. You... Parents, if you've had children and you've watched children go do their own thing, you know the pain of them not following, not serving, not doing what they're called to be and do. And so this is what it's like. So the thing that was created, the very purpose for which it was created was just to, was to glorify God. And how does it glorify God? By being and living and working and talking and doing all that you do in life as God would do it. Reflecting His image. That's your fundamental call in life. It's just to be and do and say what, you be, what you're doing and saying and everything else as if God were doing it. And that's why I think, you remember the day when that big phase came out in the church? The WWJD? What would Jesus do? I mean, here's the great thing about that. If you think of that mindset and you went through life and you said, what would Jesus do? That's a, that's a phenomenal question. That's really the fundamental point and purpose of your life. That's your calling. So no matter what you do, God has gifted one person to be a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, you know, a painter and a, and a truck driver and, and whatever, right? So we all have different gifts and we all have different callings, but we all have this universal call on our lives. We were designed for one purpose, and that was to glorify God. How do you do that? By manifesting to the world what God is like. So truly, you should go around life. What would Jesus do? That's my calling. No matter what you're, what you're doing, no matter where you're at, if you're at home or if you're at work, if you're at play, 
or whatever, what would the Lord do? What would the Lord have me do? That's, that's your fundamental calling. And yet so often what we drift away, don't we? We drift away from that being our calling till we get caught up into what we're doing for ourselves. We forget the Lord and we do our work for us, for a paycheck, for money, so that we can go do what we want to do. It, it, we get so self-absorbed so easily. We forget the Lord. We don't do our work as unto the Lord. Because if we did it as unto you, O Lord, because you made me for this very purpose that I would, that I would trust you, that I would serve you, that I'd walk in your ways and obey you and reflect to the people around you what you're like. That's my primary calling. That's the primary pur- purpose. This is why Jesus said um, in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before others that they would see the good in you that God is producing in you and then they glorify God. It works this way because the thing created, if it is glorious, always ends up glorifying the creator of it. Just just like when a, a mar- you see a marvelous sunset, a beautiful sunset. If you're a Christian, you see that and what do you, what do you where does it lead you to? Worshiping the sunset? No. You know who created that. And if you know who created it, you're like, God, you're awesome. You're beautiful. I can't, look at what you've created. This is amazing. I was just looking this morning. I was sitting at the back and I saw a couple of the babies. I was thinking, God, you created them. You knit them together in the womb. It's beautiful. Delightful. It reflects. It, we don't praise and worship the, the baby. Because it's always the one who did the work. Whose work is that? That's the work of my God. He does that. He gave that. But so often people rob God of His glory in their unbelief and disdain of God. He's pouring out gifts all over the place. His works are marvelous beyond comparison. The things that he has, the things that he's given, the things that he's done, they're everywhere present, manifesting his glory, and we do not glorify him for it. You know, it's kind of like if you were to go to a... And you go to a museum, and you see some marvelous piece of work, and you marvel at it, you're going, wow, that is amazing. It never ends there. You always want to look down to the right or below it and read the plaque. Who did this? This is stunning. Unbelievable. Read, read, read. Oh, wow. Man, this guy is good. He does a serious work. Wow. Have you ever seen something amazing in your life that was built? Who did it? That's what we want to know. Who, who did the work? This is unbelievable. Who did it? Right? And the moment we know who did it, then all of a sudden our estimation of them just goes, that's some amazing work. That's the point. The works glorify the worker. And, and, and that's what we're to do in life. 
What does it mean to glorify God? Well, it means that you live out the, what the Creator, the one who created us, created us to be. So that when people would look at his, at the work, and what will they do? They glorify the worker. And if somebody gets stuck on us ever, you ever, you ever find this? Some people like, they don't believe God, they throw at God, they disdain God, and then they see the work. I've had people, you know, see God's work in my life, and I'm saying, please, it's not me. It's not. I'm telling you, if you want to see my work, well, this come around, you won't be pleased. It won't be pretty. But if you want to see God's work in me, it'll be glorious. You know, even in, in the in the situation with Antonia and, and throughout the years and all the people that I've had com- amazing conversations with because of it, you know, they see a work and they're tempted to praise me. It's like, um, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't understand. Honestly, I've had unbelieving relatives and we've had long talks at night. And he's a dean. Um, you know, they, they try to give glory where glory is not due. And, and they, they, they push it my way, and I say, you know what? Let me be completely honest with you. Please, understand something. Let me be honest with you. And I'm not trying to be religious. I'm not trying to do something that would just, like, you know, help you uh, believe in God or anything like that. Please, you have to know the truth. And this is the truth. It's God. If you want to see me, you're going to be disappointed. Very. But if you want to see Jesus, you'll see things delightful. As I'm trusting in God, as I'm hoping in God, as I'm delighting in God, as I'm seeking God, as I'm obeying God, and depending on God, boy, some beautiful works come out. And when I'm not, boy, some ugly works come out. Ugly. Embarrassing ugly. And here's the other beautiful thing about us walking and living lives to the glory of God. When you're living there and you're in there and you know God's in you working through you, it is the most joy and delight you can have in life. It's the happy place. It's where life has meaning. It's where life has joy. And using, and oh Lord, here I am. And as God, I trust God and God's works in me and God works through me. And as I depend on Him, I, I mean, even last night, I sat on the edge of my bed because I'm here to tell you this, Saturday nights are often horrible for me. The enemy attacks me miserably. I often have horrible sleeps. Antonia has horrible sleeps. I'm often wrecked Sunday mornings. And I say this, you gotta pray for Mike. It's coming. But when I, I, I'm, and there's distinct difference. Let me show you the difference of walking in the flesh as opposed to walking in the strength of the Lord. Whenever I've done this, and I distinctly, I was brushing my teeth, I remembered, oh yeah, it's Saturday. I need to pray. And I, I said, Lord, you know I'm weak. You know, you know I, I, I need sleep. And you know, I need you to defend me. I need you to shield me. I need you to guard me. I need you to, I need you to grant, Ian and Antonia sleep tonight. Please deliver me from the evil one. Be my shield and defense. And I had an awesome sleep last night. I woke up six or seven hours later. Wow, what happened? 
felt refreshed. Tony was perfectly quiet. That never happens. And whenever I've done that, that's distinctly the difference. God says, you hope in me, you trust in me, you look to me, and I will provide. You don't, and I'm going to let you see what it's like when you don't. Our calling in life is simply, and you know what I woke up doing this morning? The first thing I did is rejoiced in the Lord. Give him praise. Give him thanks. Because it wasn't me, it was him. I didn't do anything. He did everything. And that's the life we should live, a life of dependence, a life of walking before our Heavenly Father so that we would, as we walk and live out this life, He would receive the glory. They would glorify our Father in Heaven. Live in such a way. Live in such a way that they would see and they would be curious and wonder and want to ask you for the hope that lies within you. You'll be so distinct and different from the world, it's not even funny. And they will seriously ask you. And they will end up, as you glorify your Father in heaven, they might not believe you, but they will know the truth. C.S. Lewis said, when we want to be something other than that thing God wants us to be, we must be wanting what, in fact, will not make us happy. And this is deeply connected to what I want to exhort you as a church to. I want you, my call to you is to make sure that everything you do as a church is to the glory of God. That's got to be the centerpiece. Because what will happen when you everything's done to the glory of God and to the glory of God alone when that's the fundamental existence and that's why you're functioning as a church, it leads to a passion. It leads to a passion to to know God and to submit to His Word. This Word becomes central. When I desire nothing but the glory of God, then I desire nothing but to hear His Word and to know what He says and then apply it to life. And when I do that, you know what that leads to? to the praising, to the exalting, to the delighting in of Jesus. Jesus and all that He's done for me becomes central because you get into this Word and this Word is Jesus-centric, Christocentric. It points to, it leads you to, it leads you to Christ and in Him you find all the fullness of God. And when that you led there as you want to glorify God and you exalt His Word and are led to Jesus and you see and trust and look to Jesus for all things, Man, you, you are on course. You are living the life God has called you to live. You are glorifying God in that process. And that's, that's really what it's about. Because in, in when, you, when the center is the center, the peripherals will come and they'll go. Issues will come and issues will go. Things will happen. But remain on center and you remain faithful. You get off center and you're no longer faithful. There's lots of pressures. There's lots of temptations. There's all kinds of trouble that will come. This world is filled with many troubles, many difficulties. But when your purpose is not to somehow get out of difficulties, but to glorify God, you watch how you walk through difficulties. It changes everything. It changes, changes the trouble. It changes the struggle, it changes the difficulty. If the purpose and the point is me and my comfort, 
me and what I want, or you and what you want in this church, if that's what the point is, if the point is about me and I'm going to evaluate everything they do based on me and what I want, you're going to be messed up. Everything in your life ends up messed up. You, you, your walk is messed up. Your troubles are messed up. Everything's messed up. And the only thing that will make, bring you to center, bring you back to center, is when you, when you say, that's it, Lord. I do not live for me. That's not the purpose of my existence. The purpose of my existence is to live for you. And when I do that, everything comes together. Because when something is operated and functions according to its purpose, it works really well. A hammer makes a really bad screwdriver. And so, so many people are trying to have their life live for them. And they're wondering why everything's not working out. Well, it's because you're not living according to your purpose. It's not why you're made. You were not made to live for you. You were made to live for God. And you'll find that there, that's the happy place. That's where joy is found. So, church, please, do not ever find yourself exalting in, glorying in, going after anything other than God. Die to yourself, live to Him, delight in everything He's given you and does for you. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him always. Love Him. Delight Him. Follow Him. And do everything to His glory and His name. And it'll be good. Very good. Amen. Father, we're very thankful. I praise You for Your love, Your goodness, Your mercy, Your truth, Your wisdom, Your strength. Your grace. And above all, I praise you for Jesus. We thank you for him and all that he's done. And I pray for this body, this church. And I pray your rich and abiding blessing be upon them. That they would stay focused on you, desiring nothing but you, delighting in you, rejoicing in you, obeying you. finding their life in you. We're so thankful, and I praise you for everyone here. Pour out your goodness, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.